The days are getting shorter and it's officially cozy stay indoors season, which means it's the perfect time to pick up a new sewing habit. One of the things we hear most often from our listeners that don't currently sew is, gosh, your podcast really makes me want to learn to sew or to sew more. Today, we are going to help you with just that by sharing why you should start sewing. What machines and tools you do and don't need to get started. Tips for picking out a good first pattern, the right fabric, and getting it made. And how to find the right inspiration to get you started. We would also be sharing lots of stories about our personal experiences, learning how to sew along the way. So whether you are new to sewing or are listening for entertainment, you won't want to miss this episode on everything we wish we knew when we started sewing. Hello, and welcome to Threaded Together, a podcast that stitches together home sewing and high fashion. We're your hosts. I'm Tracy. I'm Rebecca. And again, in today's episode, we'll be discussing everything we wish we knew when we started sewing. This is our ninth episode for Threaded Together, and we are so excited to have you listening. And we're thrilled to have you back listening to us again. And don't forget to find us on social media at Threaded Together Podcast, where you can see what we're working on and keep up with us between podcasts. Just give us a follow. I am really excited for today's episode, Tracy, and we have been putting our sewing machines, irons, and even fingers to good use this past month, haven't we? Why don't you tell us what you've been working on? I made my Fiber Mood Dunya jacket. It's an oversized casual jacket with these amazing large rounded side slits. It's lined and it's got patch pockets. I made it in this grey leopard print angora and wool mix, which was some fabric I fell in love with last year and it was destined to become a coat. <laughs> mm. It's really comfy to wear and it's the perfect autumnal layering piece. It really was so gorgeous, Tracy. I, I feel like it's the jacket's kind of an updated version of the sweater jacket or shacket that was popular a few years ago. Do you know what I mean? Yes, it is like an updated jacket. It's really comfy to wear. It's lovely. It's really lovely. And it looks fabulous on you. Thank you. I also made a jacket out of pleated denim, which I'm really pleased with. It was so much fun to play around with the direction of the pleats. And you have to share with us, Tracy, how you decided on the direction for the pleats. It was so fabulous. Well, I was initially thinking I'd have all the pleats in one direction, so either vertical or horizontal. And then I took a few copies of the pattern line drawing for the pattern and drew different directions on it to see what would work best and then made the decision that a mixture would be best and Mm. it was was really lovely to sew up it was really really pleasing quite the design journey there (laughs) (laughs) i've also made a start on the bella loves patterns freddy jacket that i mentioned in the last episode um, the instructions on it are incredible. There's like 75 pages. Um, wow. <laughs> I've got this gorgeous fabric from Salvage and Bolts and it's beautiful black Italian wool tweed with sequins on it. Ooh, that it's, sounds it's lovely. really lovely. And the buttons, um, I found that the buttons were really hard to track down because I wanted um, the same or complementary ones in, in two sizes. So larger for the front of the jacket and then smaller for the sleeve cuffs. Mm, um, makes sense. And I found it hard to, to track down exactly what I wanted. But um, in the end, I found some from Button Box Devon. But so far, I've twirled it, I've made some pattern adjustments. Um, and I've just finished my final twirls before, you know, cutting it all out. So I'm really looking forward to thoroughly enjoying the process on this make. 
Um, and what about you, Rebecca? What have you been sewing up in the last month? Well, I just have to say, Tracy, I'm so impressed that you're always actually doing what you're saying you're doing <laughs> yeah. month before. It's, I don't, don't know that that's true. <laughs> it's, it's quite impressive. Um, and well, I, I can't contain my enthusiasm when it gets cold and dark outside. I love to kind of hole up, plug in my iron and get to work. And I finally, finally finished my jacket inspired by the Dior bar jacket. It has nine pad stitch panels done by hand to give you that magical kind of new look floating hem shape. And I really love it. It looks spectacular from the pictures that I've seen. Oh, thank you, Tracy. And I just wanted to take an extra minute, if if I might, on this particular sewing project, because if it seems like you've been hearing about this for every episode in recent memory, you have been because I actually started this project back in August. And I'm now just finishing it at the end of October. And I feel so often like with social media and everything, we're used to seeing things happen really quickly. Weekends, projects, you know, like the make an entire outfit with me in 24 hours. And less common is the <laughs> let's take three months to properly drape a pattern for and make a Dior inspired jacket using couture techniques, which, you know, three months, I think is a fairly reasonable time frame considering, you know, a Savile Row tailor will take two weeks to do a handmade couture jacket and a Savile Row tailor, I'm absolutely not. So three months seems about <laughs> right. But I, I did hit several blocks on this project, but I think the biggest one for me was after hand pad stitching the panels uh, when all I had to do I'll put that in air quotes. All I had to do <laughs> was line hem and finish the jacket. Um, and the collar wasn't exactly how I wanted it. It's this huge half circle collar, by the way. And I just kept redoing things that I had already done and just was like making no progress. Yeah. So Tracy, at this point, you gave me the best advice. You said, if I'm remembering correctly, sometimes it's a trade-off on long projects between perfection and finishing the project. And that was exactly what I needed to hear. I, mm -hmm. I think I had taken such a long time on the project that I was terrified to have spent all of that time and not have it be absolutely perfect. So I just kind of froze up and couldn't move forward with it. And after you said that, I decided the goal was going to be not perfection, but rather to finish it. So I ended up actually completely removing the collar to make everything else easier to do. And then went about finishing the jacket mm -hmm. and getting over that mental block was so huge. And kind of the consequence was it actually gave me the confidence to do all of the hems by hand to base the collar before finally finishing it, which ended up getting it probably closer to, you know, what I was looking for as perfect as possible by not trying so hard to be as perfect. Yep. So... I think the the lesson here for me was, you know, don't shortchange the big projects. They're big for a reason. And I probably could do an entire 45 minutes telling you, you know, everything I learned and how much I've grown as a sewer designer and tailor in three months just by working on one project. Yep. But I won't. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, I did document the entire progress. So if you aren't sick of hearing about it, I'll have an in-depth video on it at some point on my YouTube. So stay tuned if you want to check that out in more detail. But I'm just thrilled that it's finally done. And thank you for all of your support. 
Tracy. <laughs> really meant a lot. <laughs> well, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing to seeing the video. You really put so much time into this jacket to get the shape that you want and everything I've seen makes it, it looks fabulous. So between us, we've both had a productive sewing month. <laughs> Absolutely. To kick off today's topic, we need to confront a very obvious yet important question. Why should you start sewing? That can be a very personal question, but there are a lot of great reasons we'd like to share. And we were also going to share what motivated us to start sewing. Absolutely, Tracy. One big reason to start sewing has to do with sustainability and the appreciation of the clothing we own and wear. Mm -hmm. We unfortunately live in a time where clothing consumption is kind of unprecedented, yet the environmental and human impact of the garments we wear is often overlooked. So making your own clothes or even trying to begin to sew does bring with it a very needed appreciation of the industry itself and all of the factors that go into it. Yep, absolutely. And another reason to start sewing might be the assumption um, that it's cheaper to make your own garment than to buy clothes. <laughs> oh, do you think it's cheaper, Tracy? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, definitely not initially. I think eventually you'll have enough patterns and skills and pattern cutting skills that mean the pattern itself doesn't become an outlay for a project. Eventually what you make will be better fitted and better quality and, and exactly what you want from a garment. Mm. Mm -hmm. which means that it is better value than buying clothes, but it definitely isn't a cheap hobby. Agreed, agreed. And taking it back to awareness and that sustainability piece, it really makes you appreciate that no garment should ever cost a dollar, a pound, one euro, et cetera. In fast fashion really doesn't necessarily make sense, but there's another massive cost savings that also comes with sewing, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So sewing doesn't have to be expensive either. You can make do with a lot of what you have, upcycling pieces you already own, mending things, altering them to get more wear. They're all low to zero cost things that you can do to apply this skill and get more out of the wardrobe you already have. Absolutely. Self-expression is another great reason to learn how to sew, whether you want to make things that fit you better or suit you better. Yep, absolutely. And an eventual byproduct of learning how to sew is learning about pattern pieces and garment fit, which is great applications outside of sewing as well. It also is just a fun hobby or skill to keep you learning and growing as a person. So Tracy, of all the things we just outlined, what's the reason that you started sewing? And would you mind sharing with us how long you've been sewing? <laughs> well, I've been sewing like forever, I guess. <laughs> when, I, when I was younger, my mum taught me to sew and we used to make scrunchies. Um, and then at school, I did sewing in textiles. It's only really in the last six or seven years where I have fully taken up dressmaking. Um, it's something that I really wanted to do. The thought of being able to make exactly what you want to wear was so appealing to me. Mm. And I think there's been a few real motivators along the way. One, one was this coach, um, which I lived in to the point of it being completely threadbare. And I really wanted to be able to recreate it. Um, I haven't yet. I, I think personally, I wanted to get my skills to that level <laughs> in Italy. And now it's just a, a to-do list item. I'm confident that I could, <laughs> can do it now. Um, 
but yeah, that, there's may, always always been many motivators, I guess. And what was your main motivator, Rebecca? Well, that sounds amazing. And we need to get that jacket on your to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> They're bumped up on the to-do list. Um, let's see. Well, I definitely haven't been sewing nearly as long. Um, and my initial motivator to learn to sew was more to do with the clothes I already had in my closet. I honestly never thought I would get to the point of making my own. Um, But once I could make my own, it was kind of like a superpower to be able to make exactly what I wanted. So it shifted to being what I would say is kind of a true form of artistic self-expression for me. Um, It really changed my life learning how to sew. I bought my first sewing machine in December of 2021 for myself as a Christmas present. Mm -hmm. So I've had a sewing machine for approaching, I think, two years now, but I'm still very much learning as I go. And a friendly reminder on this topic um, at this point is that your first makes are never going to be perfect. But does it matter? No. Have fun. Enjoy the process. Treat every failure as a lesson learned. And as we go through this, we'll share some of our failures along the way as well. Oh, absolutely. We will. This is going to be a fun one. (laughs) So I wish when I had started sewing, that someone had explained to me what machines I needed and what I didn't need and why. And I have very strong opinions on this topic, Tracy. What about you? (laughs) I think you're right. It's so easy to think that you'll need X, Y, Z to make the item that you want. But the reality is you don't need everything to start with and you can slowly build out your tools and side note, Christmas and birthday presents are great. Ooh, yes. <laughs> great for this. <laughs> I think you can always find a starter machine from a relative who has one collecting dust to a cheap one on Facebook Marketplace. You don't have to spend lots of money on your first machine. And speaking of first machines, what was your first machine, Tracy? My first machine was a basic singer, um, mm. which my friends got me for my birthday. And I loved it and it served me well for a few years, but it got to a point where it couldn't quite do everything I wanted from it. And it was then I drew up a list of what I wanted from my next machine before visiting my local shop and falling in love with my current machine. Oh, that's so good to know. I didn't really know about secondhand marketplaces here in Germany when I started sewing. So I also started with the base model singer and I still have it, love it and use it endlessly, but I did buy it new. Now I'm quite aware that you can find them all over the place, which is fantastic. One thing that's so great about a basic model is that you can buy something called a foot that you attach to your machine and it allows you to do all kinds of different things that you usually need another machine to do, such as working with quilted fabric or even finishing hems. Mm -hmm. One of the things I bought with my machine was an entire foot set that cost me maybe 30 euros and it has, I'd say like 15 feet in it. And I still haven't used them all, but it's a great way to test out what features you might like and might need and eventually might grow into. And then those that you'll never really have a use for. Yep. And I think that's key. You don't know what you will want until you know what kind of things you like to sew and what features you want from a machine. Exactly. 
Don't worry about the other types of machines until you know how to do the process on your current machine and have a time savings or another reason to upgrade. Then you can just find someone else's machine they're getting rid of and keep that recycling going. And another machine that is just as important as your sewing machine, in my opinion, is an iron. Yes, good point. Often in projects, you might spend just as much time using your iron um, on your work as you do sewing it up. I have a cheap iron from like my local store and a cheap ironing board, nothing fancy, but you want it to have good steaming functionality. That was one thing I've learned recently is not everyone knows that Mm. when you're sewing, you use a lot a lot of steam as much as you use the iron itself. And I did have an iron from the moment I started sewing, Tracy. That was one thing I had heard about. How about you? Yes. Well, it's such an important tool. And luckily, I guess most households have one. Yep. <laughs> Not in my student days, perhaps. But you know. <laughs> likewise, likewise. <laughs> but it's such an important tool for sewing. And ironing the fabric before cutting and pressing out mm. seams after sewing, every seam can really make a difference to your make. I, I I love my iron. It was a gift and um, I treat it like um, my fabric scissors. So no one is allowed to touch it. (laughs) But before that iron, I just used my normal household iron. Um, And like the machine, there's no need to upgrade until you know exactly what you want. Wait, so you must have a fancy iron then, Tracy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's quite fancy, yeah. But it's, it's fair to have rules around your tools, right? <laughs> yeah. So is it, is it super, so tell, tell me about this fancy iron. Is it extra heavy? Like, what are these fancy features? It uh, It's a ste- steam iron and you don't have any settings on it. So you can't ever burn fabric. So you can mm. just go straight from wool to silk to I don't know, cotton and you don't need to change any settings. It's very nice. Sounds lovely. I'm just like conscious that I don't want people to think, um, (laughs) think they would spend like loads of money on stuff. I did get it as a gift. It was my like, um, my husband got it for me for our first, uh, so our first Christmas after we got married and I told my friends, he got me an iron. (laughs) They were like, like, oh my God. (laughs) You're like, no, no, no. It started already. It's a special iron. (laughs) Okay, so we've got the machine, we've got the iron. In terms of other pieces of kit that you absolutely need, you have to have some fabric scissors. Not paper scissors, not scissors from your kitchen drawer. (laughs) (laughs) Fabric scissors. And they don't need to be expensive, but they have to be kept safe from everyone in your household so they don't get used for anything else. I have a pair of Fiskars that I love and they're not really that expensive, I think. And what about you, Rebecca? Fabric scissors? What do you use? Hi, yes, scissors. That's so funny when you say they need to be kept separate in the household because I remember my mother guarding her fabric scissors like they were gold. And now, yes, I have, I ha- not only do I have two pairs of fabric scissors, I also have two pairs of paper scissors that are purely for cutting pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> to keep them from getting <laughs> mucked up. Um, but fabric scissors are so funny. People have so many different preferences. And when you get into the world of tailoring, some people love shears, but like all of the other things we mentioned, 
if you don't know why you might prefer a specific shape of fabric scissor over another, a big factor of which is your cutting space. For example, Tracy, we talk about this a lot. I cut on the floor still. So just get a basic pair of fabric scissors, but you do need them to be a dedicated pair of fabric scissors. Otherwise, you'll destroy the fabric when you cut out your pattern. Yeah, absolutely. And that brings us on nicely to a couple of other things that dramatically improve your sewing experience. Pins and something to hold your pins in. I would emphasize the latter part so much, Tracy. You know, we talk about things we wish we knew when we had started sewing. Um, you usually get a pin cushion when you first mm-hmm. buy pins. It's and, a good first sewing project as well. <laughs> oh, that is a good first sewing project. But so I love a good pin cushion that attaches to my arms. That also could be a good, a good add your scrunchie plus a pin cushion <laughs> project. <laughs> I have to be wearing one always. Otherwise, I will end up undoubtedly putting pins in my sleeves mm. or my pant legs and forgetting about them, which can be very painful. Um, and the other thing I cannot live without is a pin magnet. I have three of them. I also have a lot of pets in the house. And the last thing that I want is a rogue pin. So a magnet (laughs) to make sure nothing is fallen and everything kind of stays secure, keeps us all safe and happy. Yes, I agree. I love a pin magnet by my machine because you can throw the pins at it as you're sewing and and know that they won't land on the floor. The last thing I can think of for this section, Tracy, is fabric weights, which I personally don't think you need. A fabric weight keeps your pattern from moving on the fabric when you cut it out, but pins will accomplish the same thing and so will a heavy book. So that's my go-to for fabric weights. It's usually my new Vogue sewing book, which I think also adds some good juju as I'm <laughs> cutting patterns out. And maybe I'll, I'll pick a Charles James if I'm feeling really ambitious. How about you, Tracy? <laughs> yes. Normally anything on hand works for weights, but I have a box filled with large washers that is my go-to that I use for my pattern weights. Very nice. Okay. So we've talked about all of the machines and tools you might need. So now we probably should start talking about your first pattern. Mm. So Tracy, what was the first thing you ever made? And did you make a good choice for a first pattern or not? (laughs) Well, I recall making a top, which was a bit of a disaster. It was quite fitted and it just looked completely awful on. Oh, no. I, <laughs> I made it out of some cotton, which I now know to be quilting cotton <laughs> and not something that I, that you know, would necessarily make a good top. So all in all, it wasn't success- successful, <laughs> but there was lots of lessons to be learned from it. And, um, you know, <laughs> it was... It was all, it was never going to be perfect. It was a first project. That's exactly. Absolutely how it happens. I mean, my technically, my very first project was I used to make pillows when I was super tiny and stuff them with tissue paper and get or tissues, like mm. actual like tissue and give them to people. Oh, nice. Which is quite awful. No, it wasn't. <laughs> um, but the first thing I ever did as an adult when I got a sewing machine was I took a wool suit jacket and skirt and I upcycled them into a jacket and a dress. 
And the dress was from a PDF pattern that I got off Etsy with no lining, nothing fancy. I'm not even sure if there were instructions because I didn't read them. (laughs) (laughs) I sewed it with a basting stitch, which is the biggest stitch on your machine that does not hold well. And it came apart the first time I wore it. However, (laughs) despite (laughs) all of that, I do think it was a good first pattern since it was pretty simple. It had a zip in the back. It was had little straps. It was kind of a square neckline dress and straight up and down, straightforward sewing. And I was using a wool that was actually really easy to sew with. I, I love that there's a whole <laughs> garment in basting stitch. <laughs> it wasn't the last one. <laughs> but amazing though, going straight in with the zip. That's really good. And I guess um, <laughs> there's lots of good lessons to learn from the first project, right? Always, always. That's that's what it's there for. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the first step when you're picking your first pattern is really to decide what it is that you want to make. Tracy, what do you think think makes a good first garment to try to make? I think that a good first pattern should be one where you don't have to worry about adjusting the pattern too much. So a loose fitting top or dress or a pair of pyjamas. Mm, interesting. But, but like seriously, I do love recommending pyjama bottoms as a first pattern because they're loosely fitting. You don't need to worry about the fit. And if you aren't completely satisfied with how they turn out, it doesn't matter because you can still wear them and enjoy them without having to step outside wearing them. <laughs> oh, that's such a great point. And if they <laughs> fall apart, no one's going to see Exactly. <laughs> so, so the same question to you, Rebecca, what pattern would you recommend or type of pattern would you recommend? Yeah, I'd say that anything that doesn't have a lot of curves or extra bits like pockets, zippers or collars, tricky things to figure out when you're you're starting out. And I think for me, a perfect first sew would be a skirt or a dress would be what I would recommend. Once you've decided on your garment, the next step is choosing where to get your pattern. And this is something where you and I diverge a bit, Rebecca. I -hmm. think that it's great for our listeners to hear our different perspectives and what we look for in patterns. Absolutely. So there are some incredible indie pattern companies who have incredibly detailed instructions or instructions that really hold your hand through the whole garment making process. Some have sew-alongs on YouTube or blog posts with deeper dives on certain steps. And with more popular patterns, it's easy to find examples others have made and they might even have blog posts or YouTube videos on steps that you're stuck on. Do you have any favorite indie pattern companies, Tracy? Well, I think that Tilly and the Buttons and Friday Pattern Company are two that jump out to me as being some of the most beginner-friendly pattern companies. And what patterns would you recommend, Rebecca? I really love some of the downloadable PDF patterns off Etsy, perhaps because you can decide you want to make them and then print them out the next moment at home (laughs) and then piece them together on your just letter size paper, like a little puzzle, which I actually really enjoy. I find that really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I prefer kind of learning by doing rather than following exact instructions, although we've learned that can be a cautionary tale as well. So (laughs) even at the very beginning, I would like some instruction, but not very much. Since Mm -hmm. a lot of the Etsy patterns are done by individuals rather than companies, they tend to have more limited instructions 
But again, kind of similar to what you had mentioned, some do have YouTube tutorials. Um, and that may be good or bad. But again, it's all about what works for you and what you think you need when you're approaching a pattern. Yeah. So regardless of the pattern you choose, the pattern either the envelope or the details that come with it, we'll have a few pieces of information on it to help you choose the view that you want to make, the size you want to make, the fabric to make it with, and how much yardage you need. And we're going to talk through each of those now. So why don't we start with reading the pattern line drawings on the pattern? Tracy, what are the pattern line drawings and how do we read them? (laughs) so your pattern will include line drawings of different views of the pattern and they can help you understand the style of the pattern how it will vary for different versions of the pattern so for example view a on a dress might be knee length and view b might be a midi dress you might have different sleeves on the different views from that pattern line drawing, you can decide you want to make up view A and switch it out with the sleeves from view B. Yeah, thanks for that description, Tracy. I think that makes a lot of sense. So like different options, like whether you want to do a jumpsuit in shorts, sleeveless or not, that kind yeah. of thing. Exactly that, exactly that. And a good line drawing will show the back and the front of the pattern. You'll see the darts, the lengths, the ruffles, the zips, top stitching, what the neckline looks like and so on. And it definitely comes with experience looking at the line drawing and imagining what the garment will look like when it's made up. But it soon Mm -hmm. becomes like slightly like second nature. Absolutely. And the fold line have a really lovely blog post on this with examples of different line drawings, which we will link in our show notes. And again, I would say (laughs) I'm not a bad influence on this, but a different one. (laughs) But if you're looking at all of the line drawings and everything and options and you feel like you're getting overwhelmed, that's a good sign that you might want to set aside that pattern until you feel more comfortable and perhaps even take a step back and pick an even simpler pattern to get started. Mm -hmm. Yep. A quick note on vintage patterns and even some of the simplicity patterns that I learned the hard way, you may think that, oh, they're older, they'll be easier. But despite even the name of some of them, they actually aren't. If you think about different generations and the skills that different generations have had, I know my mother's generation, most women could sew. It was a common skill. And since it was a common skill, there was a lot more fluency in the techniques and symbols that were used in the patterns. Mm -hmm. And because of that, most paper patterns that aren't explicitly for beginners are going to assume a foundational knowledge base. So again, I would recommend picking a more modern indie pattern company like Tracy suggested or finding a simple one on Etsy or something like that. Yeah, that's good advice. Okay, so the next thing we need to talk about is picking the correct size from your pattern. And this is something I really struggled with when I first started sewing. And picking the right size. When you measure yourself and you compare it to the size chart, you'll find your bust, waist, hips don't always fit into one size bracket. So how mm-hmm. how how do you pick the right size? So first of all, on a pattern, you'll find the size chart and the fitted measurements. And the size chart will be a standard set of sizing for that pattern company. And the fitted measurements show you the actual size of the garment when it's made up. And the difference between the two is the ease and it allows for movement of the body in the garment. So, for example, a fitted dress may have three inches of ease around the bust, but a loosely fitted dress may have 
eight inches of ease around the bust. And I guess it's worth noting that when you're working in knit fabrics, you'll have a negative ease, but I guess that's for another day. (laughs) (laughs) And picking the right size can be really tricky, especially when you fall between sizes. Mm -hmm. But a really good pattern will give guidance on what to use or suggest if you like a looser fit or tighter fit, whether to size up or size down. It's such a great point, Tracy. And I I think if you're just starting to sew, a great thing to know is that nobody fits the pattern sizes every (laughs) pattern company is different. So kind of ignore whatever that size number is and really just try to find measurements that are going to fit you. I always kind of as a a rule, try to size up on a pattern because you can always take it down. You can always kind of tailor it in later. And I think that's a good rule to follow. And also if you do size up on a pattern and you don't know how to tailor the garment, so something is a little bit too big when you make it up, that's okay. As you advance in your sewing skills, one great thing to do is go back and revisit past projects and you can actually update that fit as you go to have it fit you better. So don't be afraid of picking your sizes. It's something that just kind of comes with time. Anything else on that, Tracy? It's worth saying actually that it's going to be different to your ready to wear size, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's probably worth calling out. And you can be completely different sizes on the top, bottom, Mm -hmm. your arms, you know, everybody's body is different. But that's one of the reasons why we're learning how to sew potentially, right? Okay, so you picked your size. Now picking the right fabric can be hard. It takes, Mm -hmm. I guess, a bit of practice, especially when you're buying online to know the type of fabric that you will want for a project. And the best place to start on this is to start noticing labels on your own clothing and when you're out and about shopping. Oh, that's such a great point, Tracy. I love that. (laughs) Think about the fabric you like to wear and how it drapes, what the weight of it is. Does it have stretch? Really, what do you like to wear? Something you can do is keep your own little swatch book. So as you get fabric, just keep a little swatch of it and a note of what type of fabric it is. And that can really help with your understanding of different types of fabrics. And fabric really is an episode in its own right, but there is a great episode on Check Your Thread, episode 97, which is called Introduction to Garment Fabrics. And we highly recommend you listen to that. Some fabric shops will suggest uses for fabrics. So some will show you videos of it moving, which can give you an indication of whether it's suitable for the project that you have in mind. And if in doubt, ask. Tracy, I think we can offer some guidance on this too. So just by the nature of the fabric, slinkier fabrics such as silk and chiffon are not the easiest place to start. Something that isn't too thin, more of a shirt weight, and something with not too much stretch are a great place to start. For example, a cotton poly mix even or a lighter wool blend are always good starting fabrics. Yeah, a nice cotton poplin or a cotton lawn. They're really nice and lightweight and easy to work with. I think one of my first garments where I was really pleased with the result of it um, was a viscous lawn. Mm. And that was a the sew over it, Sylvia robe. And it's, I still wear it now on holiday as a little cover up. And one of the first fabrics that I ever used, Tracy, after that first project was a 1970s vintage cotton fabric with almost mm. no stretch that was super lightweight and very easy to use. So another great point. There we go. Now, if 
All of that sounds like a lot. (laughs) And you are sitting there thinking that all this information might be a barrier to getting started. That's okay. There are other options too. One thing I wish someone would have told me about are the sewing kits that you're always mentioning, Tracy. I love a kit. (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs) With a kit, you know the fabric will work with the pattern. You know that you've got enough fabric for the pattern. You know that you have the threads and the notions that you'll need with it too. Um, It often works out cheaper than buying everything separately. And sometimes they come with videos or Facebook groups or helpful notes to help you out. So you can really see what it looks like when it's made up. Um, Two of my favourite companies are Guthrie and Garney and Fabric Godmother. I love their kits. Um, And I still enjoy a kit now because (laughs) sometimes it's just nice. (laughs) And it builds a good practice because then you have your sewing notions on a bag. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like you do, Tracy, which I do not. (laughs) I highly recommend putting everything in a little project bag. You should absolutely check out your local fabric store or even a local college for beginner sewing classes. There are always classes available, maybe even at a community center. And in that case, you might end up starting with just a pillowcase instead of a garment. And that's also perfectly fine. The important thing is that you just do the thing. Lean in and start sewing. It's super fun. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so you've taken the plunge, you've got a pattern, you've got the fabric. What's next? Well, it's not something I do terribly often, Tracy, <laughs> but rewashing. <laughs> and this is a really important stage. And it's, I get that it's easily overlooked, but fabric can shrink sometimes like up to 10% when it's washed. So it would be absolutely devastating if you made something up and then it was completely unwearable after the first wash. (laughs) So wash it as you will wash it when it's made up. If it's something you're just going to shove in the machine, then shove it in the machine before you make it. If it's something you think you're going to hand wash, then hand wash Mm -hmm. it before making it. And if you've got no intention of ever washing it (laughs) 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 or you plan on dry cleaning it, then you can bypass this step, <laughs> but definitely give it a good steamy press before you work on it. And if washing your fabric scares you, I know I was kind of intimidated when you spend all this money on this fabric and then you're mm-hmm. just going to chuck it in the washing machine. You can always borrow a trick from the other textile arts and test it out first. So just cut out a corner of your fabric. It doesn't matter the size. You'll want something small. Just measure it and for ease, cut it into a square. Write down the size of that square, say five centimeters by five centimeters. And an important piece is to include the selvage or the very edge of the roll in the square so that you can remember which direction is which. Mm-hmm. Then wash it as you would like to, or even dunk it in the water, let it dry, what have you. Then measure the square again afterwards and notice how it changed. If it changed a lot or even significantly, you'll probably want to make sure you pre wash it. You could also factor that into your pattern measurements if you didn't want to pre-wash the fabric, (laughs) but that's a lot more complicated. And I'll add links for a great resource on why your fabric stretches and shrinks in the show notes. 
That sounds absolutely terrifying, factoring in, <laughs> shrinking into the um, pattern measurements. I don't know that I would um, like to take that on. But I think you've got a good story about this, Rebecca. <laughs> take Why, yes, Tracy, I do. <laughs> and you don't have to factor it in, but I would recommend if you're scared to wash it, just toss the swatch in and see what happens. And then yep. you'll be glad you washed it. So my horror story, I made a pair of jeans out of a brute denim when I was maybe three months into my sewing journey and I didn't pre-wash them. <laughs> there are a few issues that came up as a result of this. So the fabric was a brute denim, which means it was untreated. So untreated denim, uh, even though it was printed on, is really, really, really stiff and not soft at all. On one hand, it it felt like it made it easy to work with, but on the other hand, it made the most horrifying sound as I was sewing it. And the machine had to work really hard to punch through that fabric because it was just so incredibly stiff. Mm -hmm. And when I finally did wash the jeans, the fabric relaxed so much. It made it so much easier to work with. So that was learning number one. It would have been way easier to actually make them with the denim being a little bit more relaxed, pre-washed. Mm -hmm. But also, as it happens with a lot of cotton fabric, it shrunk quite a bit in length. So they're barely long enough to wear with sneakers uh, at this point, the jeans. And when I originally cut them, I had cut them long enough for a high heel, maybe four inch shoe. So that goes to show that there was a lot of shrinkage. I'm very fortunate I can still wear them, barely. <laughs> <laughs> and you really are lucky that you just lost the length and they didn't shrink widthways as well. <laughs> I mean, they might have, but there was definitely some post washing adjustments too. So I think the pattern just had some extra room in there. Oh my goodness. But denim yeah. is something that you have to be quite careful with when you pre-wash um, because you can get crease lines permanently left in the fabric. So for den Ooh. denim, it's best to soak it completely before washing. Make sure it's the only thing in the machine. Take it out as soon as it's finished washing and give it a good press when it's still a bit damp. I think when you buy denim, there should be some good instructions on how to wash it but they, you, yeah. you definitely want to pay attention to those oh yes and i have a good tip on this is anytime when you when it's a first wash of something that might have any extra dye in it is if you put a tablespoon of white vinegar in the Ooh. wash it'll actually set the dye oh ah, okay Anyway, those jeans were a good life lesson. And <laughs> circling back to our earlier comment about how much ironing is as important as sewing, whether you pre-shrink or not, make sure even after the wash, you iron everything with a good amount of steam before you start working. It'll ensure that you have an even surface for cutting out your pattern and mm -hmm. the heat and moisture will definitely shrink your fabric a little bit too, but not more than would happen when you wash it. Mm -hmm. And that is a great segue to cutting out the pattern. And this for me, when I first started sewing, was always the most terrifying stage. <laughs> this is for everyone. <laughs> There's a, there is a saying, measure twice, cut once, and it's definitely worth bearing in mind. <laughs> Because once it's cut, there's no going back. So let me share an early failure of mine. One of the early things I attempted was a fitted skirt and it was a PDF pattern. And as I cut it out, I was like, I don't know how quite 
this is going to fit me. (laughs) 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 And I couldn't work out where I'd gone wrong because the size was definitely, definitely right. Well, with a PDF pattern, when you're printing it yourself, you need to ensure that you use the actual size and not the default (laughs) scale to size setting. And so what I'd printed out was about 90% of the size it should have been. I hadn't checked the test square. I just assumed (laughs) it was good. And so this was never, ever going to fit me. (laughs) Oh no, that's terrible. But there are test squares on PDF patterns. (laughs) Do you want to explain what those are, Tracy? (laughs) Yes, the test square is something I haven't ignored since. So um, it's a square. It could be five centimetres by five centimetres or 10 by 10. And if you measure that square, that should be exactly what it says it is, both um, horizontally and vertically. If it's not, then your pattern has not been printed out at the correct scale. So it is important to check. And what are some other things that we need to keep an eye out for when we're cutting out our first pattern, Tracy? So there are quite a few things, I guess, to keep an eye out. When you're cutting out, you'll have some markings to indicate that something needs to be cut out on a fold. Um and then there's cut one pair, which means that cutting two or a mirror image of each other. So you don't end up with two left sleeves. Oh, great point. <laughs> Using the grain line to ensure that it's cut straight in your pattern, there'll often be a cutting layout. And that doesn't have to be followed exactly, but it is a useful guide for the optimal layout and ensuring you cut the right number of the right pieces and um, that they're facing the right way. And so the cutting layout, in case anyone isn't familiar, is basically how to lay out your pattern pieces on, it's usually a meter or two of fabric to kind of optimize that fabric usage. Yes, they often have different widths based on a, a narrower fabric and a yeah. Like a one, 110 and one that's 150. And it will show you, yeah, that's right, the optimal way to lay out the pieces. I never followed that, by the way. <laughs> I don't know why that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I don't I don't follow it either. I use it as a, a reference, though, just to make sure. Because yeah. sometimes you might want, I don't know, four of something and you can just be merrily cutting it out and not realise that. So it's Great a nice point. visual check, I think, to... Yeah. Make sure you've got the right number of pieces. Um, And if your fabric looks very similar on the front and back, it's worth marking the back so you know what you're working with. I like to use masking tape on the back of each piece. Um, And I like this because I can write down the pattern number or what the pattern piece is. And then I know which piece is the back. That's really smart. I need to try that. I haven't heard before. <laughs> um, I struggle with that to this day. And one trick that I use is I keep the fabric pieces pinned to their respective pattern pieces until it's time to use them. That way they're facing the same direction. And if there's two pieces, I can always tell which is up and which is down. Again, this helps me keep track of which is the right side of the fabric, what goes where, and helps me to generally stay more organized until the garment is constructed. That's a really helpful tip too. I think it is really important to note the difference between the the front and the back Mm -hmm. um, if the fabric looks the same, because sometimes it might be completely obvious when you're cutting your fabric out in daylight and then you're sat at your machine a bit later and it's harder to tell in the artificial light. So it really does... um, 
pay off to mark the fabric. And then you end up not having two right sleeves, which I just did on the lining of my jacket recently. I, we, we've I lost the direction on one of them and I was like, why are they both the same direction? Had to unpick. We've them. all been there. And yeah. the lining is, is, does look very similar on the front and back. So it, it definitely happens. Whatever you do, though, it's all about having fun, enjoying the learning process, enjoying what you make. And if something is taxing, put it to one side and come back to it, because it's amazing how coming back to something the next day can sometimes mean that a step you struggled with yesterday, now, today, makes perfect sense. Or three months down the line, because <laughs> I've definitely done that as well. That too, that too. <laughs> yeah. Give your give yourself the space, the time to learn, because it is a learning process, but it's so much fun. You don't need to be an expert immediately. Absolutely. So this is the part of the episode where we usually link back to high fashion. And mm-hmm. when it comes to your first sewing project, above all, I would say pick something that you're excited to make. Mm-hmm. Runways in designer garments are a great place to look for inspiration, and so are fashion exhibits. Mm-hmm. I just got back from the most amazing trip to London, where we, Tracy and I, went to four different exhibits and a book signing, and it was so inspiring. I know I came back from that exhibit inspired to make new pieces. Did you as well, Tracy? Yes, it was so inspiring to see so many exhibits in a short space of time. And there was just so many takeaways from them. It was wonderful. Yeah, it really, really was. We have a great episode that I think we put out, it was our fourth episode on finding inspiration called Cultivating Creativity. And coincidentally, it happens to be one of our most listened to episodes of the year. So we decided that instead of covering all of the exhibits as a side note in this episode, we could do a special episode covering all of that. And there will be tons of inspiration in there. So stay tuned for an off schedule episode, episode nine and a half, (laughs) where we talk about visiting the 30 years of London fashion exhibit, as well as what else did we do, Tracy? We went to the Crown Couture exhibit at Kensington Palace, as well as the Chanel exhibit at the V&A. Yes. And we also went to the Divas exhibit also at the Victoria and Albert Museum, as well as a book signing and conversation with Tom Brown, which was quite fantastic. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we'll be continuing our own personal sewing journeys, working on some fabulous things. So maybe we can inspire you with some of our next makes. So what are you working on next, Tracy? (laughs) Well, I'm going to continue my Freddie jacket. And then I have my sights set on some occasion where ahead of the party season, um, I'm thinking sequins, feathers, silk, velvet. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Rebecca? What's next on your sewing table? Lots of fabulous options that you have there. <laughs> uh, that's always a great question, Tracy. I'm in a bit of a jacket continuation mood, but I think I said that last month as well. Mm-hmm. Um I did start putting together a jacket that I had created a pattern for last year and I finally started sewing it together. So it's okay to set stuff aside. And at this point, it only needs a lining and some buttons. So really excited to finish that. It also has gotten quite cold and I have this 
I have a bolt, yes, a bolt of a heavy tweed that I've been saving. So I think an overcoat is also in my future, Mm. hopefully completed by our next episode, Tracy. And speaking of our next episode. Well, with the holiday season just around the corner, we are going to get Head Start and be discussing occasion wear so that we will all be ready for our holiday festivities. Such a timely topic, since we were just recently discussing with our friend Eves the potential perils of velvet. So in this episode, we'll be covering some of our favorite things to make for the holiday season, as well as things that are potentially difficult to work with, like sequins and velvet, as well as some of our favorite holiday outfit trends that you can take inspiration from to make sure you feel amazing at your next festive activity. So before our next episode, if you have any thoughts, ideas or questions for us, you can always find us on social media at Threaded Together Podcast. In the meantime, I'm Tracy. And I'm Rebecca. And this has been Threaded Threaded Together Together Podcast. Podcast. Look at us. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Looking forward to our next episode in a month. Make sure you give us a thumbs up on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify. You can find more details on what we discussed today in the show notes below or on threadertogetherpodcast.com. And for more behind the scenes and regular updates, you can find us on all social media channels at Threaded Together Podcast.